Hi, I'm Deb Crow, and I want to welcome you to Season 3 of Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with authentic and courageous leaders from all over the globe. You will learn from leaders you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolkit. Leadership belongs to all of us. It's not measured by stature or title. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. You know, I have spent a lot of my life and career and education fascinated with the brain. I did my schooling in neuroscience. And I think my guest today has found what I like to coin the sweet spot. He has created a beautiful intersection between artificial intelligence and neuroscience. And I want to tell you a little bit about Michael Netsley. He is the founder and chief executive officer of Extend My Runway. He's also an affiliated faculty member with the IMD Business School, which is ranked number one globally. But what I really love about Michael is he brings a deep experience with executive development and a broad background in communication, leadership development, personality assessment, coaching, and design thinking. He's now entering what he calls his second career as an entrepreneur. He is pursuing a deep passion for brain sciences as he is earning a second master's degree in applied neuroscience in my own city of London, Ontario, through King's College. He's currently living in Singapore, and he has been there for the last 20 years, and he has facilitated sessions for more than 12,000 executives. So, Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you, Deb. And that's that's the kind of introduction that would probably make my mother very proud and my father very skeptical. So thank you. Oh, I love it. I haven't I haven't had a guest say that. That's a lot of fun. You know, I love what I love about technology is you're in Singapore and it's the evening for you, and I'm in Canada and it's the morning for me. And this is just what I always talk about. You know, we're such a borderless yes. society now, and, and we can connect and and I mean the connection so great and it's so good to see you and I love what you're doing with your new initiative and I'm excited to let our listeners know our listenership has now grown to 65 countries and Singapore is one of them so I'm happy to interview you today and I'm just grateful that you made some time to share your expertise with us. Well it's my pleasure to be here and congratulations on the growth 65 is a great number. Well, you know, uh, it's it's been one meaningful conversation at a time. It's just just the way we roll here. So I am so excited to interview you. So if you're ready for some leadership questions, I'm ready to dig in. I am ready. Fire away. Okay. You and I are both lovers of neuroscience. Yes. I know the research is changing. I'm a big proponent of watching the work that Maria Shriver does, especially because of her family in the Alzheimer's and and dementia kind of arena, if you will. I know that things are changing and we're going to dig into where we go in middle age, but share with us kind of your new initiative, what got you there and what you're seeing as a trend or something that's new as it relates to neuroscience and how our brains are aging. 
Okay. Well, it's it's really been a, a journey getting here. My background is actually in classical rhetoric. So I studied Aristotle, Plato, Cicero, all that that good stuff. And um, I was, I guess the best word to say is I was starting to outgrow executive development in the classic sense of, you know, being affiliated with the university and just churning out a hundred days a year of whatever. Uh, I wanted to do something with more of an impact. And I was literally running around one of the freshwater reservoirs in Singapore. Uh, runner's high had kicked in and literally ding, 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 ding. It just, it just all came together in that run. And I had been in love with neuroscience for a few years at this point. I was starting to ask myself, what's next? What, 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 if, if I'm kind of coming to the end of this, what's going to come next for me? And I was also thinking about some of the broader trends around augmented workforce and aging societies. And so this epiphany literally created Extend My Runway. And all we are trying to do is commercialize some of this amazing neuroscience that is coming out of places uh, such as the Center for Brain Health at the University of Texas and uh, commercializing it in a way that actually helps people, helps us understand what our strengths are after the age of 50 and being able to leverage those strengths so that you can live the life that you want. You can, if you need or want, stay employed or become an entrepreneur or give that effort to the community. But um, I guess a negative way of saying it is refuting the idea that after 45 or 50, it's not downhill. You've just hit the midpoint and there's a whole nother a uh, whole nother era of of good things coming your way if you stay healthy. And, and, you know, I think the last two years have really shown and demonstrated that people over 50 have a lot to offer. And I know ageism has been an uphill battle for many, but if you look at, you know, we are in this resignation boom, it's affecting all ages, all yeah. sectors, all businesses globally. And you look at the amount of experience that someone over 50 can bring. And I think, you know, I, I just had a great conversation with Chip Conley on the podcast at the end of season two. And I think you're both addressing a much needed topic that needs to be talked about more. And I know I've introduced you to Helen Hirsch-Spence, yes. who's also been on the show out of Toronto, Ontario. We need more than the three of you because I like the term modern elder. It's become the buzzword. And when you think about the decades of experience and the transferable skills that we have after 50, it's invaluable. Absolutely. The wisdom that we bring over 50 from multiple conversations, connections, multiple sectors. So I love that you're marrying this with the, what I said, the, the sweet spot with artificial intelligence. And we'll make sure that all the listeners can have a look at the platform and what you're doing. And we'll put everything below in the podcast description. So my second question is fun. It's, you know, it's the one that really gets me up in the morning and, and why I named the show Imperfect. Share with us what imperfections that Michael has brought along 
in his leadership journey and have they changed and and what are the current imperfections? Oh my. <laughs> um I have I yeah that the Hogan folks would call my imperfection a uh uh, a turning away pattern that uh, when 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 somebody crosses the line with me, that's it. I turn my back. I walk away. We're done. And I get really impatient when people don't do their their research. For example, we're we're going into companies. We're selling services to people. We're impacting lives. And we can't even dig up the, the basic research and get the latest science in, into people's hands. Uh, that one really sets me off. <laughs> so here, here's a really simple example. And in linking this back, back to the neuroscience, there's a, a, a classic study, uh, a gentleman who used to be at Illinois by the name of Cattell and looked at crystallized intelligence and fluid intelligence. And the idea was that crystallized intelligence is steady into your 70s and fluid intelligence drops off after 45. Well, folks like our colleagues at the uh, Center for Brain Health have discovered some amazing things. Are, are you ready for this? This is the kind of stuff that, that we should be digging up and sharing with people and what kind of give, brings out my, my bad tendency. Somewhere around 45 to 50, we go through another transition in adult development and we get better at managing complexity. That's one of a lot better at managing complexity. In our 50s, we peak at strategic focus, the ability to zero in on something and push out the distractions. In our 50s, we peak at the ability to read emotions in other people. Now, here it gets really interesting. After 60, we peak at innovative thinking, innovation. After 60, it's not the black t-shirt, 28-year-old on mom and dad's sofa. Um, We peak after 60 at our platinum cognitive ability, which is integrated thinking. And uh, after 65 or maybe up around 70, we go through yet another stage of adult development where we get even better again at managing complexity. Now, these are just a handful of things. So as we think about that aging workforce and and what what I guess has both been a spark for me and also can bring out that that bad habit of mine, why is this research not getting out to the people and the businesses who are going to benefit from it? Um, there is not a split between uh, crystallized and fluid intelligence, but in fact, they become integrated and we actually get better into our 60s and even into our 70s. And so I just, I want desperately for that to get out there. And and um, when it doesn't, I admit I get frustrated. <laughs> Well, if it makes you feel better, you're in good company here on the podcast because I would say that's probably the number one imperfection that leaders across the globe have shared with me on this podcast. And I think the imperfection comes from a deep-seated passion about the work that you're doing. Yeah, yeah. And we and we want more of it out there. So it's just, it's just it's like it's like you said, you got to sit back and just be patient and you've got the discipline, you've got the structure, 
you've got my favorite neuroscience term. You've got the right metacognition. You know what you want to do. You know how you th- how you're thinking about your thoughts. You you know where you want to go on this runway. If we're going to use your metaphor, mm-hmm. and I love the metaphor because we're all on a runway. And we don't know what plane we're on and we don't know what plane we're getting off. And to extend that and just frame what you said so beautifully in your 40s, 50s and 60s, there still is a neurodevelopment. And I think there is a bit of disservice for adult development in higher education. Oh, yeah. And I know I know Chip Conley alluded to that. You're alluding to that. I know that Helen has alluded to that. And what do we do with all of this academic achievement and work experience and quite frankly, life experience? Exactly. The wisdom that we can bring to the younger gener- generation, in my humble opinion, is priceless. The, the wisdom and the ability to integrate that life experience with these uh, peak abilities at higher order thinking. And basically, if I'm going to perhaps cut too broad of a stroke, what happens when we start that transition around 45 or 50 or into our early 50s is we we start to use less forms of thinking that are memory-based, and we start to use higher forms of thinking that are more experience-fueled. And so... You know, it, it's, it's fascinating to think that we have evolved from an evolutionary perspective in a way that are, are you know, hardwired into our DNA and the adult development. All of a sudden, somewhere after 50, we have the ability to make really great use of all that life experience and that this happens later and not earlier. Um, what an amazing gift we've been given. And how do we unlock that and let everybody benefit from it? That's the idea. Well, it's it's the idea and it's the reality. And I'm hoping, you know, we have quite a, a demographic for our listeners in, you know, 65 countries, but we're hitting a six decade age span mm. from 20 to 80. So that's really interesting to me. And You know, I worked and developed a memory care floor before I stopped case managing. And it was really interesting to me because the first gentleman that I actually met was my grade 11 chemistry teacher. Oh, wow. And when I talked to his wife and his family, he was an avid reader and learner and loved science. But when he retired, You know, I think, is there an anchored generational value that we need to kind of uproot here? Why 65? You know, the term freedom 55, like, what does that mean? I know it came out of a financial brand, but I think it's the key years of our lives to really show and demonstrate what we've built, what we've achieved, what can we pass on to that next generation with our wisdom, yet maintain our curiosity. And so I'm thrilled that you've created this platform and I'm excited to get it out to our listeners. I want to ask you my third kind of leadership question is, why do you think on a global level and even looking at all of the sectors, and I always tend to say we are borderless, 
And I know we have sectors, but we're all in the people business, hence being heart-centered with everyone we meet and build a connection with. Why do you think employers or, you know, my inquisitive mind, I'm going to say human resources, anybody involved in, in the managing, the onboarding, any process to do with people in the workflow of business, where do you think there was a bit of a, a roadblock, if you will, that kind of started and created this upheaval over ageism? Yeah, I think honestly there that there were two. And one of these is when governments were setting up their, um, you know, like Social Security in the United States, the bean counters literally did the math and said, if you set the the targeted, I think originally it was 62, then it moved to 65. But basically, mathematically, this is where it makes sense for us for money. So it was is literally just calculations. And the second one is that we have transitioned to knowledge intensive work. Uh, in, in the world's first world economies, uh, a little over 60% of the people do some form of knowledge intensive work. Now that was not the case before. You were working in manufacturing, for example, uh, relatively monotonous jobs, things that are not going to bring out the cognitive strengths in you. And if anything, they wore you down through hard labor. It required back strength. But today, that's not the case any longer. We're doing knowledge-intensive work, something that we now know you get better at in your 50s and 60s. And people have not worn down their bodies through physical labor. But there is a, a lack there's a lag here. And, and as you said, businesses and HR, and, and let's be very honest here, even the, the people who are living longer, even they adopt the mindset of I'm past my prime, uh, when in fact, we're not. So we, we, if anything, we've gotten better. So just more time and more awareness is needed to get over those legacy issues. And it's, it's probably going to take another decade or two, I think, easily. It's quite interesting because I've interviewed and talked to a lot of people on the podcast and, and some of the best conversations happen after the record button's done. <laughs> and a lot of employers across the globe have really fallen to ghosting, which I think was the preceptor to the resignation boom. But at the end of the day, if we remove all the fancy terms and we just call it what it is, people are no longer tolerating behavior of poor leadership. Yeah. I think people have reshuffled their value system of what they want in their own life. They've rekindled the importance of family when we all stayed home for two years. And I've seen, I, I have seen and moved now 62 executives since March of 2020. And some have changed sectors, taken a demotion. They've had that cognitive renewal of it's not about the money. Because when they get to the top, it's super lonely. And sometimes they recognize what they lost on the way up. And extrinsically, they have everything. And you can have all the money and all the things in the world, but if you don't have anyone to share it with, it's not very fun. 
Not fun at all. Absolutely. And I I agree with you completely. The best part of being locked in Singapore for over two years is uh, I have four kids at home. And, you know, the connection with the family has just been amazing. It's given families a renewal. Why do you think it took a pandemic for employers to realize that they don't have the skill set that they needed Again, the rose-colored glasses are on. They're staying within a demographic uh, for age, academic experience, et cetera, et cetera. How do you think AI is going to support this so that we're losing that templated way of thinking of what's needed for a role and we can open and extend the runway to have people over 50 and beyond to be included, more inclusive? Because I really think ageism is a big part of diversity, equality, and inclusion. And I'd love for you to weigh yeah. in on that. Absolutely. And and I was just reading a an article recently. I, I don't know if I saved it, but something like 80 or 90% of the diversity and inclusion initiatives that were looked at did not include age as, as a, a diversity variable. So there's a lot of catching up to do, but this is where I think the AI becomes so important because of precision and because of personalization. So we're what we're doing is we're taking all of that amazing research that we've learned about what happens to your brain in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. We're designing that into the artificial intelligence. And simply put, I am going to, with a, a bit of data, I'm going to be able to know what it is that you are so good at. Are you really good at innovative thinking? Are you really good at strategizing? Are you really good at the, you know, the relational aspects that are hardwired into our brain? And because all of this measurement is documented on a blockchain, we'll be able to export that as an NFT, say, go give this to your boss, because uh, it's the employee's data, not the employer's. So go give this to your boss, and now all of a sudden you have hard data, verified, science-backed, that, you know what, this person is really, really good at innovative thinking, despite the fact that she's 63 or, or whatever it's going to be. And now you've opened up the possibility for a conversation. And we can compare this individual to the cohort data she is the best. You need to be putting her in your innovation department and leveraging that experience. Uh, you would be foolish not to. And so that's what we're trying to do is we're trying to shape the demand side of this, not the supply side. I'm going to tell you what I love about this the most is age isn't even considered because data doesn't lie. <laughs> you've worked You've worked with over 12,000 executives and you know, and I join you in this, there is not one tool that's going to give you the snapshot of the cognitive and emotional bandwidth of that person over 50. Mm -hmm. You're right. It's impossible. There's not one tool. There's not one template. There's not one behavioral assessment, personality assessment. There's there's no one holding their PhD who has it all. It's it's so many different elements and parts coming together at the same time. So this is what I love about it. And, and given my background in disability, the other thing I love about this 
is people that don't test well, yet they are intellectually brilliant. Yes. I've had many of them on the show and they said, I just, I wasn't the typical studier, reader. I was a terrible tester. And the teachers that were able to hone in on that is synonymous to the leaders who can really hone in on their team to look at who's innovative, you know, who's not speaking in a meeting, who's my thought leader. Data doesn't lie. And this is why I think this neuroscience intersection with AI, I think it's going to be priceless. I think companies are going to really love it and get the candidate that they really need and want. And I think we're going to kind of shake up old processes. And I'm, I'm excited for this. Can you tell? <laughs> you know, this is precisely the idea. And I love your example. And you mentioned this just a few minutes ago. When you base it on IQ, there is a, such a strong cultural component or bias, if you would say. Whereas what we're measuring are these raw abilities of the brain to process that are not culturally dependent. And so even if somebody didn't graduate high school, but if they're particularly good at uh, uh, you know, reading emotions and, and building you know, forward positive relationships, if that's their mental strength, we'll be able to measure it. And the degree or lack thereof does not matter. And you know what else is also the sweet spot? We're going to call this the icing on the cake. The level of people that you're working with over 50, they have the TQ, the transformational intelligence mm -hmm. that people seek at the executive director all the way up to the C-suite level. That transformational intelligence comes from doing transformational leadership work, which you only get to at the end of the runway with decades of experience. Yes, you, you have to have the experience and you have to have time for nature to unfold the, the way it is in our DNA. And all of a sudden your brain can do something with that experience um, a bit later in life. But I, I, I don't even like that phrase. Uh, I, I'm at the midpoint. I'm 56. I'm at the midpoint. I, I think I've got a whole another 25 years ahead of me. Good 25 years. So um, it's not even later in life. We're we're middle of the road right now. I I, I like to phrase it midlife wisdom. Yeah, yeah, that, that's I like that. I like that. And you know, it's it's a mindset. We're talking about neuroscience. To me, aging is a gift denied to many, and it's all in how you look at it. We have a woman in Toronto. I'm going to say her last name incorrectly, but. Her name is Hazel. I think her surname is McCallum. She's 101. She was the mayor of Mississauga, Ontario until she was 97. <laughs> she had the longest running term of any mayor in our province here in Canada and just had her 101st birthday. And the Greater Toronto Airport Authority has just renewed her on their board for three more years. So if we want to talk about cognitive ability, mental agility, emotional intelligence, and TQ 
off the runway, this woman is a beautiful example. And I, I will send you the link to the article because it's phenomenal. And the other thing I wanted to mention was we talk a lot about neuroscience and metacognition. Mm-hmm. And what I always love referring to is that higher analytical thinking in the frontal lobe, which yeah. we call executive functioning. Middle-aged people do ec- executive functioning very well. The ability to plan and initiate and sequence and execute It's an impairment that I see in a lot of executives for a lot of different reasons, but people over 50, and you alluded to that earlier, telling us what goes on in the brain in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. This is one of, again, it's another sweet spot that comes with age. So, oh my gosh, Michael, I could sit and talk to you all day. I really could. (laughs) This is the stuff that I love. So I'm so happy our paths have crossed. I'm going to switch gears. Okay. And I'm going to ask you my, my fun fab four. These are just four fun questions that I don't want you to think about. Just tell us what's on the top of that brilliant mind of yours. All right. I'm ready. First question. Tell us something that we don't know about you. Um, I'm a Mennonite. Okay. <laughs> Isn't, and you grew up within a Mennonite family? Um, I grew up in a pl- part of the world where um, the, the Anabaptist community around us was very strong. And I remember the Amish going past my house in horse and buggy. So this was middle rural Ohio. Well, it's it's really interesting, and I'm excited to tell you this. So we have a boat that's an hour away from our home that we go to in the summer from May till almost October. And we have this beautiful rural drive, literally one hour due south from our home. And we literally stop because a lot of the Mennonite and Amish community have Uh, built beautiful buildings next to their farms and they sell all of their meat and fruit and produce and they have this community within a hundred mile radius and it just gives me such pleasure to meet them and support them and and we literally do our grocery shopping for our weekend away with all this beautiful fresh produce that is the labor of love for this community. And it's my favorite part of the summer is, and we always stop at the same few farms. Yes, yes. And we still see the horse and buggies on, on these concession roads. And I just, I love that they're so true to their own culture, but I love that they just bring us back to the way things used to be, which is so, and their pies are amazing. I mean, <laughs> nobody makes They pastry. still have the old trees that their ancestors brought over 200 years ago. You still well, get the original fruits. Yeah. And and they tap maple syrup with the maple yep. trees on their land. Yep. And I would rather buy from somebody like that. So you never know where this interview is going to go. These questions and, and, the, and, the, and the things that come up. I love it. Okay. Second question. Name a book that you've read in your life that was truly impactful for your journey. And if you could share with us the title and the author and and how it really impacted you. And I'm sure you have many, but what's the first one that comes to your mind? Probably the first one has to be The Executive Brain by Elkhorn and Goldberg. Uh, that was the book that opened my eyes to the frontal lobes and, uh, you know, the conductor of the orchestra. And that, that 
that was really the first step in my second act career. And there's no looking back from that. That's I have not read that book. So I'm going to have to get that info from you for sure. Okay. My third question is I'm granting you a wish and you get to have dinner with any leader in the world. And I'll qualify this. So this leader could be living or they could be passed away. Who are you having dinner with? And what is the dinner conversation? That's actually an easy one. I'm having dinner with Cicero. The, 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 the other option in my book would have been a De Oratore from, from Cicero. And there's this question that has never been answered in you know, the 2000 years since Cicero lived of uh, what, what is it that really matters? I mean, here we, we've got the greatest orator in Western history. What is it that really matters? Is, is it your ability to construct a good argument? Is it your, your reputation and your character and what people already think about you? Or is it a, your ability to tap into their emotions and move them? This has been a debate for 2,500 years since Socrates. Nobody's ever definitively answered it. I would love to know his answer. <laughs> that, that would be a good dinner conversation for sure. I love it. Yeah, he's, uh, you know, a, a bit of an enigmatic figure, but uh, that, that would be my dinner choice. Well, I can, I can wholeheartedly say to you that I know this won't be our last conversation. I, I do find it serendipitous that we have been introduced and I have really, really enjoyed speaking to you. So before I have you close out the show with my last question, I just want to say, I'm glad that you're taking the time to showcase your expertise and create this amazing platform, which I think is going to help so many people across the globe. And I love that you're doing it with heart. And I love that you were courageous enough to share your imperfection of being impatient. You join many executives and entrepreneurs around the world, but I love your passion. And I'm just super grateful that we had this time today. Well, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure being here. And I'm going to have you finish the show by finishing this sentence for me. Heart-centered leadership is? A starting point. If you don't understand what's in somebody's heart, you can never really give in a way that's going to be meaningful. Thanks for joining me today on Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I hope that you've enjoyed the show today and learned some new tools for your leadership from our amazing Heart-Centered guest. And if you like the show, we would welcome a rating and review on whatever platform you listen to. And we would love to have any comments or feedback at any time. And if you want some more heart-centered goodness, head over to our daily blog, masteringtheheart.com.